Hey everybody, welcome to the inaugural podcast of Bus Call by Show Logistics. My name is Ryan Goldbacher. I'm going to be your host for this awesome podcast. Uh, we're going to be doing some really cool things on here. Um, we're going to give everybody a really cool behind-the-scenes look at uh, touring and road life. Um, we're going to talk to some really cool crew guys. They're going to give us some advice on career paths and, and how they got into the business. Uh, they're going to tell us some cool stories from the road and give everybody a really good insight on what happens Uh Backstage. So if you're interested in joining us, uh, shoot us an email at a bus call at show logistics.com. And uh, we'd love to get your opinion and get uh, get you in on the interviews if you're interested. And thanks again, guys. And without any further ado, we're going to start off with our first interview with uh, Jeff Meredith. Uh, I want to welcome my first guest ever, Jeff Meredith. We met uh, about a year ago on the uh, Judas Priest Fire Power Tour. Um, and the first night, he very quickly went from just being the guitar tech to being the uh, monitor engineer and guitar tech on probably the worst, uh, craziest sounding night of my life anyway. Anyway, right now, he just monitors with me, uh, Sebastian Bach. I want to welcome Jeff Meredith. How's it going? Hello. Uh, where did it all start for you, and what series of uh, unfortunate events caused you to think you could make a living in the music business? <laughs> uh, I grew up in like the guitar store world when I was a younger teenager, and there, like, I learned how to do rentals for PA systems, and then doing clinics and things like that. I learned how to run consoles, and then it all kind of took off from there. Started doing basic sound gigs, and then went to college for. It. What was your first tour? I used to travel with a uh, uh, like a uh, big band that did modern music and classic music for like high-end parties and events and galas and things like that. So that was kind of the first thing that I ever did really traveling with a group. Well, just a van type thing? Sometimes it would be flying, flying day to date, a lot of flying back then. And sometimes we'd drive an equipment truck, like a 26-foot box truck. Was that in California where you're from or somewhere else? Yeah, that was in uh, the San Diego. That was in San Diego when I started there. What was your first bus tour? First bus tour? Well, or, or like real tour, like uh, fly dates or whatever. With uh, That would have, that probably the first real, real tour I would have done was with Saxon. On early uh, earlier tour, yeah, that they did with uh, UFO. Oh, cool, cool. In so terms you probably, of big uh, ones with management and a real bus and long dates. With, was uh, Rob DeLuca with UFO then? Or, yeah, Rob's with I guess he yeah. was. He's always been with them. Yeah. Yeah, so that's probably where you met. Rob, Rob plays bass for uh, for Sebastian Bach, so he's a good friend of ours. When when was that? That would have been end of 2017. Before that, I had done, done tons of you know van and trailer tours with all kinds of metal bands and things like that. So you very quickly moved up through the ranks to the uh, craziness of... of uh, what we're doing now yeah so you're you're one of the few guys that's a jack of all trades and master of some uh you know you're not just you're not just an audio engineer but you're like you're a good guitar tech too you, i know you uh you guitar tech for faints warning um and you also do monitors uh what do you like more or you do front of house too you do audio in general but what do, what do you what do you prefer out on tour is is one thing more fun than the other or to me honestly i think audio is easier if that makes sense it's the things that go wrong are the same things all the time, where guitars are these kind of living, breathing entities of their own that are finicky and have attitudes and change day to day. And, you know, with, with, the, with the advent of digital consoles, things have gotten so easy and so repeatable now that it's a lot simpler than, than trying to make wood and metal operate in a way that an artist wants. You know what I mean? Yeah, well, guitars haven't changed for 
you know, 50 years, the same same chunk of wood with metal in them. But you still like doing the audio stuff, obviously, with Sebastian. You know, you do monitors and pretty much take care of the stage in general with Randy. Um, aside from Saxon and Sebastian, who else have you worked with? Fate's Warning. I've worked with the Wayne Foster Orchestra. I've done events with um, Josh Turner Band. I did some, some Josh Turner stuff back in the day. I did a lot of hard to distinguish metal bands that are uh, <laughs> have random names from random parts of J.R. Tolkien or any of that other stuff. A lot of black metal when I was younger. Did you go to school for audio or anything? I did. I went to the Art Institute. So, I mean, I, I kind of started out more as a studio guy. It's kind of how I was able to move faster through the ranks. You know, I started uh, working with a lot of local studios and then I went up to LA and worked at NRG for a while and learned a lot doing there and made a lot of contacts there. That's sort of what I did. I did I moved to Nashville and, you know, realized, hey, I can make more money doing live sound. And Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So I kind of have a hybrid background. That's I think that's a good way to go, though, because I, I went to school for audio for studio stuff. But, you know, the live sound, I just learned it by doing it. Yeah, I mean, it's just good to be in both sides of things. You know, I think it helps out a lot anyway, especially with recording. And everybody wants you to be a recording engineer and a front of house guy now because all these consoles can record themselves. And, you know, you really got to know know both sides of all that stuff. It changes almost as fast as politics do nowadays. I mean, in terms of recording styles and and plugins and everything else, it, it's such a it's so much faster moving than the live live sound world is. Yeah, especially now because we're, we're like at the next generation of mixing consoles. So it's like uh, it's it's getting even easier and even easier to do all that cool stuff. At, at the same time, it gives you more things to worry about. I recorded almost every show we did, this, we did with Sebastian, and, you know, once it's in the red, it's not really a big deal. But when something goes wrong, you're like, you know, oh, now that's my problem too. Or you have to understand the old philosophy of, of signal flow along with, you know, the new digital world where everything's coming down one uh, Ethernet cable. And, you know, there's more and more uh, responsibilities, you know, when, right. uh, when you kind of consolidate everything into you know one little package because you know i mean there was a day where you had to have a system tech and now you know right you, you just you don't need that anymore you flip your console you load your scene exactly. <laughs> and you go but i mean there's there's less there's so much less leeway for time in the in the live world time is always against you in the light where in the studio while you are trying to battle against the clock because the client's paying it, 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 there's a lot more freedom to it. I mean, you can take stuff home and edit it in your spare time and do all the things that your mentor tell you not to do for free. You can't really do that in the live world. Yeah, and it, well, you know, it's a cool thing too because like Jackie, uh, what's Jackie's last name? Uh, Jackie Lehman. Jackie Lehman. Yeah, Lehman. Lehman. I mean, he's a he's this German front of house engineer that's front of house for sax, and he's an incredible engineer. But he's also a studio guy and he does a lot of uh mixing for live bands and stuff like that and whenever he wasn't uh we did that judas priest thing whenever he wasn't doing something related to front of house or, or mixing really front of house he was always on his computer uh mixing live stuff yeah he, he does vakin every year too all the live broadcast stuff or a lot of the live broadcast stuff sitting in the recording truck you know back in back in the day at least when i started a recording engineer and a and a live sound guy were two very separate things and it just the line has gotten slow slowly blurred i just know you know most of the guys that i know that are audio engineers now are uh you know they're doing they're doing both things just to you know make some extra money and even the musicians i mean we we did uh you know 
I mean, you see it all the time. All right, oh, why, you know, Rob DeLuke is hanging out in the back of the bus because he's mixing the new uh, Spread Eagle record. record or something like that. And same thing with just about everybody. So, but it's a, it's a cool world we live in now because... I remember the first time I saw Pro Tools running on a laptop. I thought that was incredible. And now, <laughs> you know, I'm doing it right now in my kitchen. <laughs> I remember the you first know. time I ever I ever did that was in London. We are doing a show for some Saudi prince, a wedding. And uh, they wanted to record the whole thing. And back then when I had to do it, we, we had to rent splitters and a whole outboard recording unit. We used an Allen & Heath I-16, I think, back then to do that. Might have been older than that. But I mean, it, it was, you know, we had to jump through hoops and do a lot of planning and do a lot of rentals to make it happen. But now with consoles, you can just plug a laptop into it. It's so much easier. You remember when there used to be recording trucks and now that's yeah. that's not so much a, th- a thing anymore. You know, just bring your laptop and plug it into the console. But uh, yeah. thinking back on it, you know, just speaking with you right now, like a cheap console that couldn't even do all those things we just talked about was at least 20 grand. Yeah. I mean, back then I was, use- I was using an M7. And that wasn't cheap at all when they came out. Yeah, and and you can't record on them. You can't. I mean, you know, very limited in its effects, and you know, and all the consoles were like that. And then now it's commonplace. Like you can't buy a console without a USB output now to record multi-track whatever you want to record. And it's, yeah, and I, I I think Avid really helped to make that easier. They did. Yeah. They did. And I mean, because Avid Avid really Avid was the first to just do it. Because I guess. Uh, you know they came out with they came out with the venue stuff and it, you still had to have a HD rig, but you know then the uh, yeah they made it built in and a lot easier to do. Yeah, the SC forty eight had FireWire and yeah uh, exactly, which is now mostly useless. But yeah, and, and <laughs> yeah, it's funny. I went to the Apple store actually when I was out on tour and I I said hey I need a FireWire adapter for uh, for Thunderbolt and they didn't know what I was talking about, <laughs> but. Uh, yeah, but I mean, it's just all, it's crazy how quickly that changes and who the heck knows where it's going to, it seems like, uh, well, it seems like we're going back a little more analog because there's a few things that analog consoles, well, digital consoles just still can't do sound-wise because uh, the SSL stuff, the, you know, they have the analog summing bus and I'm, I'm hoping the new Midas console, which uh, should be coming out soon, is, uh, is going to have something like that just yeah. to kind of round out both sides of it, but... I'm going to move on to what I'm going to call the lightning round. So, uh, <laughs> where, where, where is the coolest place you ever visited on tour? Brazil. Yeah, easily. Uh, the people and the, the crowds. It's just a totally different experience than anything else I've ever had. They're all really gracious. Like, the fans are really thankful. I mean, people were coming and thanking me, thanking everybody for putting the show on. Like, they're, they're just so much more happy about the entertainment that they're receiving. They just know how hard it is to move around down there. Yeah, that too. <laughs> There's no paved roads. <laughs> uh, what's the coolest venue you've ever done a show at? Ooh, coolest venue. Uh, first, I'll say coolest stadium is probably the one, uh, the Utah Jazz one with the has a speakeasy backstage. They had the Derek Zoolander's Derek Zoolander's gym for people who can't lift good or something like that. I think that's in Utah. <laughs> I think that's the one that one is. That one, that was hilarious. Like the back, the backstage area is just hilarious there. Was, was that on the, the pre-store? Yeah, it was on the pre-store. What, oh God, I don't remember that one. Yeah. That's like the thing, thing people don't realize is that a lot of times at a, in an arena, you don't really know where you are and you might not even go outside the whole day and they all are just really confusing and sort of the same thing. Yeah, they're all kind of the same. It's like a cement circle. Like you're stuck in a cement yeah. circle for 18 hours. Yeah. 
Yep, and you just always think you're on the opposite side that you're actually on. It's it's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> okay, what's your favorite mixing console for front of house and uh, monitors? For monitors, hmm, that's like a that's kind of like an opinion that is currently changing right now. My fr- my favorite front of house console is probably Allen Heath GL forty eight hundred because I I grew up on that console. And I love the way the EQs sound. And I think I could get a sound check going from nothing to show going in like 18 minutes on one of those ready to go. As long as I have some some delays outboard. Yeah. Allen and Heath is pretty underrated with their analog consoles. Yeah. And I love the way that they're, they're pre-sound. Yeah. Because like, you know, they used to be what would have been considered a less expensive console back in the day. But yeah. every time I'm on one now, I'm like, man, this thing just sounds so, so good. <laughs> Yeah, they just have a ring to them. I don't know. It's probably all just in my head. But I, to me, it, the, the main thing about it is if I take the EQ and I dip something out, it, it can go really drastic fast. You know, it's just the EQ does something when you touch it. You can do small moves on it and, it, and they come across really well. But for monitors, the digital consoles all the way, 100%. I, I, we, SC48, SC48s are great. They're just yeah. kind of large. But uh, I like the way that they operate. They're really easy to get up and running and to be super flexible with. But lately, I've also, every time I get put on a, a, a Yamaha CL, I end up loving the CL. The effects are fantastic. Yeah. Um, I'm, I think I'm with you on the CL. I mean, I, you know, the, uh, the, the Avid stuff is very rider-friendly, but the CL, man, it just it's just very intuitive. And if you can use an M7, you know, they haven't changed the interface. And- yeah, the M7 was the first first real console I used outside of college, you know, first console I used for work that was a digital console, you know. I, I think the CL stuff is the most intuitive console I've ever been on. It just, it all makes sense. It's all where it should be, you know. And, and every time you have a question, every time you can't figure something out, somebody shows you how to do it and you're like, oh, I was totally overthinking that. It's way more complicated on every every other console in the world. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's just, you just hit the button. Find the thing you want, poke the button. Yeah. You see that? You, you want that knob? Push that knob. That's it. Mm-hmm. So what's the what's the craziest thing you've ever had happen to you on the road? You ever get left at a border or anything like that? I've never been left. I'm pretty good about time. I think you know that. Uh, um, craziest thing? At the start of that... And we'll get you fired. Well, yeah, exactly. That's why I'm weighing. I have 100. <laughs> I'm just weighing them all currently. <laughs> Worst thing that happened to me on tour was like the second day of pre-production for a tour. I had my identity stolen. Oh. So like my debit card was shut off. Everything was shut off. But I was in, I was in the Northeast, you know, 3000 miles from home. So I had to figure out how to get like a temporary card, but the tour was like a month and a half long. You know what I mean? So I didn't, (laughs) yeah, the temporary card would have expired halfway into the tour. So it was just a whole bunch of hoops to jump through to try and figure that out while you're on the road yeah. where trying to figure things out is terrible. That's always the worst because you call the bank. They're like, oh, just come by to the branch. I'm like, you know, you don't understand. That's, <laughs> that's not a possibility. Yeah. Right, exactly. So. It was definitely a huge pain in the ass. Show-wise, we were doing a show with the big band in Dallas. And normally with the big band, it's a it was usually between 11 to 18 members. Mm-hmm. Depends upon how big of a horn section we brought and how many singers we brought. Mm-hmm. But I would do front of house and monitors for, you know, a good nine mixes. 
which is a high stress thing, but we usually got in early in the morning and had hours to sound check. So it wasn't a big deal for me at that time. Plus I was eager for the money and the job because I was living in Southern California, which is God awfully expensive. So I needed it. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, we went to Dallas to do a really big show in the arena there and we had hired a local monitor guy who was not at all used to doing monitors. He had said he had been up for 20 hours from the night before and they sent him out on this gig right away because they either forgot about it or just were poorly staffed. <laughs> and so we had this guy on after a 20 hour gig who maybe had an hour and a half of sleep trying to deal with 18 people with a whole horn section on a console he had no idea how to use and probably like 10 songs in to a four hour long set. The guy just faders up and just quits in the middle of the set the most insane thing. <laughs> and of course, I'm in an arena, not like casually, like I can walk up to the stage. It'll take me like minutes to get there. So it's just kind of like, what the hell do you do in that? But luckily he had like a, there was an assistant with him for some of the rental gear that we had and he jumped onto the console and kind of took over. Well, that's good. That gig was kind of <laughs> crazy because there's a squawk box. So the, there's two people on stage, the, the, the musical director and then uh, whoever the lead singer is the one who's dealing with all the other singers because it's four hours, but they call the songs. So it wasn't a set set list. It was kind of random songs based on how the audience was doing it for these you know, big, big parties that they do for Viacom or whatever. And, uh, yeah. and so you have this squawk box on the monitor console and at the front of house console that has chatter from someone walking the floor, giving directions to the stage as well as the musicians on stage telling the monitor guy what they need, and this guy just couldn't handle it. There was just too much pressure for him to have all these things going on off at him at once. And he quit. <laughs> he just straight quit. You know that thing that all audio guys <laughs> imagine doing at some point in their career? He actually yeah. did it. Yeah. He actually did that. You know what? Props to him. <laughs> as much as it probably sucked at the moment, like, all right, I get it. I mean, I understand that so, like a 40-input band doing monitors yeah. with that many mixes is a stressful job. Yeah. Now I will never call that guy ever, but <laughs> I get it. I get it. I've wanted to walk away. Yeah. Yeah. I get several it. times. You've, you've seen, you've seen a few situations where I just wanted to run. <laughs> yeah. Especially for, but. for this guy, it wasn't his gig. He was just kind of rented in, you know what I mean? But yeah, yeah, still, yeah. still. All right. So what good or bad advice do you have for the, uh, the youngsters out there trying to get into this business? Listen, and I mean that in like every every sense of the word. Listen, listen to what you're doing. Listen to what people are saying. Listen to what the musicians want. Listen. Always listen. Listen to new music all the time. Listen to new music. Listen to old music. Listen to music on speakers. Listen to music on headphones. Just listen to everything you can and absorb it all. Yeah, and and the big thing is listen and shut up. Yeah, I think at least at least your first tour, especially your first tour, because it's it's tough to describe or explain what actually happens out there. I mean, I, it's different than I thought it was. And I think everybody really, you know, your first tour, your first real tour, especially you kind of kind of get your ass handed to you. Yeah, I mean, and and that's just, the thing is I've always faked it till I made it. And I think in order to do that, you have to sit back and watch what other people are doing and listen to them. And never be afraid to ask for help, too. Especially a professional crew, you know, they might bust your chops, but if you're not sure how to do something, you know, it, it's 
you know, faking it till you make it, make it is, is one thing, especially getting in the door. But, you know, there's everybody has been in your situation before. You know, everybody's had a first tour and they, they get it. Yeah. You know, so it's like it's one of those things you just never be ashamed to say, but, you know, all right, well, what, you know, come to come to your tour manager, come to, you know, the guys that are, you know, on your crew that have been there for a while. And like, hey, how do I make this happen? Because everybody's going to be helpful. And if they're not, you know, screw them. Go yeah, and, get another tour. <laughs> and I mean, the, the difference in a crew member taking the piss out of you and a crew member being pissed off at you is the number of times that they've had the conversation with you. You know, you should only have to be told something once. And that that's the speed of our industry. That's just the way that it yeah. is. Yeah. Yep, exactly. And if they're busting your chops, it's probably because they actually like you. Yeah, probably. So don't, don't take things personally in this business. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's just not worth it. Take it professionally. Well, cool, Jeff. Yeah. Well, dude, that was really cool. Uh, I'm glad you were my first. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, man. Well, uh, thanks again, and uh, I'll see you around. Appreciate it, man. Talk to you soon. Hey guys, thanks so much for listening to the first podcast of Bus Call ever. Please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast. It helps people find us. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And if you like this podcast, you need to check out Nashville Unsigned. They have some really great advice for unsigned artists, not just Nashville artists, but wherever you are. Uh, Amber, Nick, and the team over there are really, really smart, and they really know how to maximize your cash flow. And uh, they have a lot of great advice on, on how to get your get some traction and get going. Uh, if you are not to a label. If you want to support the podcast, go to show-logistics.com and click on shop at the top. Uh, it's going to take you to our reverb page and we've got some t-shirts, uh, the 10 Crew Managers t-shirts. We've even got some show logistics cables and a bunch of other cool gear cases, PA systems, um, also a dealer from Madison Behringer and Usher and a bunch of other brands. Thanks again, guys. Until next time, I have to think of a catchphrase. Thanks. Bye.